Welcome back to Hot Pizza Ass. I'm your host, Erin Darling Taralva. I apologize for the wait. February has been a crazy month so far, but it is worth it because on the podcast, again, I have epidemiologist Dr. Chelsea Shover, who is back on the pod to talk about all the vaccine rumors and myths that are floating around out there. I asked you guys if you had questions regarding the vaccine, and I know you do because I can just tell by the meme culture that's happening right now. So let's bring in a professional and really dissect what is going on with this vaccine and all of the weird rumors flying around there that if you guys listen to the episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. I tried to bring up as many of them as I could that I thought warranted an actual discussion because some of them are just insane. So we'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Dr. Chelsea Shover, for joining us. I am excited for you guys to hear this podcast. Before we get into the episode, I have a couple of things I need to discuss with you guys. First of all, exciting. Our t-shirts are back in stock. So now we have more Hot Pizza Ass t-shirts, which you guys can get if you go to my Instagram link in bio. So that's at darling with four H's and you can get a Hot Pizza Ass black t-shirt now. We originally just had the white, but we sold completely out of those. So excited. But now we have black t-shirts in and if you were waiting for one, if you ordered one, if it was bat stocked, we now finally have them. So that's exciting. And then second of all, I changed everything on Patreon. I did a big Patreon makeover for Hot Pizza Ass. If you guys go to patreon.com slash Aaron Darling, you will find my new tiers. I added new ones because you guys are responding to photos. You want more photo content. So I have a whole new tier that is dedicated to people who just want more photos and a way that you can get personalized photos every single month in themes related to Hot Pizza Ass. So I'm super excited to do that. You guys, please check it out. And if you do not have the time or the money to do the Patreon thing, please take the five seconds that it requires to write a review on iTunes. It is really the main thing that can help me a lot with this podcast. And it's very, very valuable if you get value out of episodes like this. It takes a lot of time to put together these episodes, to edit them. I'm a one-woman team. I'm completely independent right now. And so if I want to do an episode about vaccines, because I think it would be helpful to the listeners, it takes time, effort, all of that. So if you would like in exchange to give me a rating on iTunes, I will accept that as payment as well. So so please consider doing that if this episode provides value. Thank you so much, you guys. Once again, here's Dr. Chelsea Shover, and here's the episode. Hey, guys. We are back on the podcast with Dr. Chelsea Shover, who is an epidemiologist and also assistant professor at the UCLA School of Medicine. And we've talked a lot about COVID over the whole course of this pandemic, but now we're in a completely new place with a lot of vaccine questions and concerns, as we've all been seeing on the internet, if you have spent any time there at all. So, Chelsea, let's just get right into it. What are some of the biggest misconceptions about this vaccine? Yeah, Um, I think the biggest, you know, one thing that people are concerned, and I'll start off by saying I got the vaccine, um, a few weeks ago, I'm on track to get my second dose next Friday. And there are a lot of reasons that people are understandably concerned or nervous about it, but they're really, you know, for the most part, it's, it's not that concerns are unfounded, they're all understandable and valid, but you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So yeah, let's, let's start with that. Um, 
biggest because I mean, I've heard, you know, I know a lot of people are concerned about how fast it was developed. And what I would say to that is that, you know, scientists have been working on a SARS vaccine since original SARS in 2003. So it's really, it's like coming up on 17 years of slower lab work. And then, you know, a lot of drug development and vaccine development is slow, partly because you need funding to do it. And so at the start of the pandemic, a ton of funding was poured into it so that many different groups could in parallel try to tackle the remaining problems and build on that 17 years of work. And so the acceleration you see, it's, you know, they still did the trials long enough to assess um, the typical, you know, amount of follow-up time to watch for adverse events and, you know, issues like that. But the fact that they had so many companies and so many, even like public private partnerships, just like pouring a ton of resources into it meant that what would normally take a lot longer could be done a lot faster. And, you know, we're seeing now that, I mean, it's amazing. We have what, I think we're up to five that are effective, which is awesome, which is far beyond where I thought we'd be by this point. Um, I mean, I think if I listened back to one of my earlier episodes, it'd be a lot more uh, dismal about it. But, you know, the fact that it's it's basically, it's a vaccine, a vaccinatable disease, which is really good news. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing. I think the other is just that concerns people have about side effects or things they've heard. Um, I'm happy to talk specifically about some, but you know, the thing to remember with, with the COVID vaccines and with most, with many, with many vaccines, you do, it is normal. And it's actually a good thing to have a little bit of an immune response when you get it. And that's why sometimes, you know, if you get your annual flu shot, like I do, I usually, my arm hurts and I don't feel great for a little while. And that's, that's your immune system responding to it. And so it's, it's quite common with the COVID vaccine for people to feel fatigue, like mild flu type symptoms. Um, yeah. And then the other big misconception is when we talk about vaccine effectiveness. So what vaccine effect, when you say a vaccine is 94% effective, what that means is if you encounter the virus 90, after you've been vaccinated, 94% of the time, you won't even get it. Mm-hmm. But most of these vaccines are 100% effective against serious illness or hospitalization or death. So what that means is even if you are part of that unlucky 6% that gets it, it's going to be a more mild form. Similar to, you know, that's how the flu vaccine works too. It doesn't necessarily completely prevent you from getting the flu, but it does mean that if you get it, it's probably not going to be as bad. And so that's one thing that's sort of missing in some of, I think some of the analysis, you know, we hear like, oh, this one's 80% effective and that's a getting it at all. But they're all the ones that are out there are like basically a hundred percent effective at preventing hospitalization or death, which is really what we want. You know, we want this to be reduced to be like all the other viruses that we encounter that really, you know, that aren't such havoc, don't wreak such much havoc. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there are so many questions that I think that I have and that I've heard from other people. And those are definitely some of the biggest concerns. Um, what do you think is the most harmful rumor? Is it the things that we discussed or is, what is really yeah. people away from this? 
Um, well, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's rumors that's mainly keeping people away. You know, that's a big factor, but really the logistics and supply chain issues that have in the U.S. So I'm talk, I'm going to talk about this in a U.S. context. There are, it's a whole other conversation to talk about how it's being managed other places and whether the allocation globally makes sense. It doesn't, it's not ethical, but the fact is, you know, it's here in the U.S., we have it, but the way it's been allocated federally was extremely mismanaged by the previous administration. And so we're now trying to basically play catch up with getting enough doses to states so they can allocate them um, to clinics and pharmacies and public health departments. And like, yeah, the biggest, the biggest issue is like not having, not having enough doses and also not knowing the consistent supply of doses. And some states have done a really good job. West Virginia had just basically said no thanks to all the big chain partnerships and just rolled it out through like small business pharmacies. And they've had a really, really good success rate. Um, they've apparently allocated, you know, I, I've heard that it's, you know, 100% or 101% because they're squeezing more doses out of the vials, which is just fantastic. So West Virginia is doing a great job. California, um, you know, it's been, it's been slow and challenging. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rumors are definitely harmful. Misinformation's harmful. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I think we in public health, and I count myself in this, like we need to do a good job of meeting people where they're at, addressing people's concerns, talking about them and sort of, you know, understanding why people who could get it don't want to, or, but honestly, like right now I'm thinking about it almost entirely as like an access and supply chain thing. I see a lot of people in the TikTok community because I made a video about this, um, kind uh-huh. of trying to address in one minute, some of the rumors or misconceptions, which is very hard to do. And yeah. I didn't have enough time to really address all the things thoroughly, but I saw a lot of people in the comments who had questions about the effects and something that they love to say is that we don't have long-term tests or we don't have a long-term study about this yet. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you're thinking about a, a preventative tool, you have to weigh it against the thing you're preventing. Mm-hmm. You know what else we don't have great long-term data on? This virus that really emerged <laughs> a little over a year ago. Yeah. But the long, long-ish, you know, as far as when we're talking about people with like COVID long haulers or people who get COVID and then have symptoms for a long time. I mean, it's not encouraging, you know, so it's not that you're choosing, oh, I get the vaccine or I go to a world where there's no COVID. It's I get the vaccine or I'm at higher risk for COVID for which there are very obvious bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, you know, in general, just being in public health and being familiar with vaccine history and safety data, I'm not especially concerned about long-term effects of of vaccines. It's just not a big concern to me. I know that people do have that thing, but like that's, that's, I guess if I'm thinking about like things that, you know, could hurt you over the long-term, like that's not in the top hundred that I would list, you know, I'd put (laughs) a lot of things before that, including and especially COVID. So 
Yeah, it's true. We don't have longer term. I mean, I think the biggest question as far as long term data is we don't yet, you know, we have pretty, we have decent ideas about how long the immunity that it confers will last. But just because, you know, the virus has only existed for um, a little over a year, we don't know, and the vaccine for shorter than that, we don't know exactly how long the vaccine will last, if it'll be like, you know, where you have to get a booster, if it'll be lifelong, probably somewhere in between, you know, I don't think it'll be like every year, but it might be every few years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of, that's what I would say. Yeah. Uh, something that I also see people freaking out about is um, Bell's palsy because, you know, some people did get Bell's palsy, but I think that people don't always understand that Bell's palsy is, um, is not permanent in most cases. It is something that goes mm-hmm. away. Um, but I can understand how those images can freak people out because it looks like you're having a stroke kind of, you know, um, can you talk to people a little bit about that connection? And Yeah. That? Yeah. I mean, basically in the vaccine trials that have happened so far, the incidence of Bell's palsy have been higher in the placebo group. What that means is, you know, in a vaccine trial, you, you enroll a lot of people and you're, you're double blinded, which means you, the person giving the vaccine don't know, and the person receiving it don't know if they received the real vaccine or, you know, a sham, like a placebo, which is, which in this case, what it means is not a vaccine, but you get the whole experience where you get the injection and it feels like it. So, because it's really important that we don't know, because when we know what we're getting, we have, you know, the mind is really powerful suggesting things. Um, so yeah, the rates of Bell's palsy among people who received active vaccine have not been higher than what you'd expect to see in just regular life. It's something that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the trials, it does seem to be something that was slightly, perhaps slightly more common in the placebo arm. Also with Bell's palsy, it can be caused randomly and it can be caused by stress. So yeah, this is a very stressful time, but I didn't know about yeah. the placebo thing. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What about, okay. So this is just a random vaccination association. I haven't heard that much about this in conjunction with the COVID-19 vaccine, but there's always that autism rumor that. Oh yeah. That's complete bullshit. Yeah. Yes. It's it's that's (laughs) that that's like, I don't know. That's probably like my number one, most annoying public health thing. Like I could, (laughs) I could and have talked at great length about why, you know, the study that gave rise to that idea was extremely flawed. Mm -hmm. I actually just saw a few days ago, some other like body or organization putting out yet another statement about new data that refutes this very, it's just not true. Um, yeah. Um, he's a, he's a, you know, now we, now I know we use the term grifter a lot, but like he's. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's a Andrew Wakefield is a major grifter. Um, so yeah, I mean, there have been amazing, you know, people who have done really amazing explanations of like what exactly was wrong with the first study, but it was just very bad, right? I'm an epidemiologist. It was not a good epidemiological study, and you know, people have run with it and made a lot of money off of it, and it's you know, it, he it it turned out was also trying to profit from an alternative vaccine dosing regimen. And so it's like the line from bad science to profit is like quite easy to follow there. So yeah, no, that's, it's complete nonsense. 
Yeah, maybe we can provide some links um, that I can put in the show notes or people can read about this further. There's also a really good podcast episode that I talked about on social media last week. It's called The You're Wrong About Podcast, where two journalists really debunk this and they talk about um, kind of conspiratorial rumors or pop culture situations that um, now looking back where we are today are now completely wrong, but we remember them as they occurred without making that additional correction of, mm-hmm. okay, well, wait, now we have this information. And that episode talks about that at length. It's really interesting. And I think that also the autism vaccine connection didn't, there weren't any favors done by celebrities being outspoken about it. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. There's not like, don't even call it a connection. There's not a connection. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good one. I have a few other podcasts. I thought, I think Behind the Bastards, their episode on Andrew Wakefield was very good. Um, I was happy because I tweeted about how much I liked it and they responded to me and I was like, oh, this is good. But yeah, no. Um, anyway, yeah, moving on. That's a good one for people to do their research on. Um, and like I said, I'll provide some links so you guys can read further about this, but, um, definitely before you start talking about the autism thing, please read a little bit further. Um, what about, okay, this is a weird one. I've heard that there's reactions of people who have had Botox or facial facial fillers. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, something that's about? something. Yes. Yeah. That's something that's, yeah, there was a, you know, there was a public health bulletin report about that. Um, yeah, that's something that's happened. I mean, I think the thing to remember when we're talking about reactions to vax to the vaccine so far with COVID, what we're ta- the COVID vaccine, what we're talking about is anaphylaxis, mm-hmm. which, you know, I am an, you know, I've had it like a dozen times. If, if you've never had it, I, you know, I, I was working at a vaccine clinic the other week and I was asking people, you know, have you had, ever had anaphylaxis? And a lot of people were like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm like, no, no, you would know. It's because like, you know, your throat swells up, your face swells up, you can't breathe, you have GI issues. It's like a total nightmare. Um, the word comes from like the Greek, a Greek root, meaning the opposite of protection, which is an accurate description. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> which is how I feel about it anyway. So having had it, cause I have, I have life-threatening food allergies. So I was in the camp of like, you should be careful. You should be observed just to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, you know, and it, it's something that can off in most, you know, so far with the vaccination, it's been able to be treated with Benadryl or an EpiPen at the scene. And, you know, it sucks to go through, but you recover and there hasn't, there haven't been issues of like long-term problems with it. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, things like having a history of allergic reactions to vaccines and potentially also, um, you know, potentially having facial fillers increase the risk of that happening. And that's why it's really important when you go to get your vaccine, um, at least here in LA County. And I, I'm extremely confident it's like this everywhere. They have you, they have you answer questions before you get it. And if you say yes to one of the things that may put you at higher risk for anaphylaxis, um, they'll just have you wait for 30 minutes instead of the usual 15 and, you know, just keep an eye on you. It's all stuff that can be managed. Like it sounds, it's not fun. I don't recommend it, but it's really, really rare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're pretty good at, at managing it now. Yeah. Um, but it's my- extremely rare. Like that's the other thing. It's like, it's very unlikely to happen, but that's why we do the observation afterward. Okay. So ladies and men, you can still get your facial fillers, but you need to wait. <laughs> you need to wait yeah, to I mean, vaccinated so you can be observed and make sure you won't be hurt. <laughs> yeah. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it on the same day. Like, you know, we always <laughs> advise against 
Yeah. Well, you know, we always, you know, we, one of the other screening questions we ask is like, have you had another vaccine in the past 14 days? Mm -hmm. And the reason we ask that is we want to make sure that your immune system has enough time to really focus on building COVID-19 antibodies. So like, I, I mean, if I was going to get filler, I'd wait until two weeks after my final dose, but I I'm not going to, but you could, Mm -hmm. um, not same day though. (laughs) Yeah. Don't get any medical (laughs) procedure the same day as you get a vaccine. Like that's just not a good idea. Yeah, um, definitely. I think that a lot of people um, <laughs> probably have not been vaccinated for various things for a long time. I think that, you know, it's something we do as kids. And so we're not, people aren't constantly thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I mean, I get vaccinated. I, you know, I, I got, I get my flu shot every year because like I said, I, you know, I have asthma and food allergies and like, I'm just like, you know, when I have respiratory problems, I really have problems. And uh, I got my pneumovax a few years ago. And it was the most interesting side effect I've ever had where just like the part where I got on my arm just swelled up like a big Popeye muscle. And it was, it was very cool just for like, just for a couple hours, but did you feel strong? (laughs) Yeah. I felt awesome. I was at a friend's house. It was in grad school. It was so funny. And I was just like, what is happening? But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, for sure. Like when I got my COVID one, um, yeah, my arm hurt a lot like the next day and for a couple of days and I was pretty tired. That's been pretty typical. I've had some friends who have had, you know, it's like they felt like they had the flu for like 12 hours, which is, it's rough, but it's, you know, that's, it's working. Yeah. I have a cousin who's an EMT who actually, um, in our group thread that I was telling you about, all my cousins are always chatting. And, uh, he said, when you get the vaccine, for after you get the second one, wait for a day. Don't plan anything that next day. Definitely mm-hmm. hydrate, drink your fluids, have some Tylenol, like just, you know, be careful because he also said he had a fever, but he's like, yeah. it was fine after that. But like, right. That 24 hour period, right after the second dose was a little bit rough. Yeah, no, that's what I've heard too. And that's mm-hmm. definitely the advice I'd give too. Is like, yeah, take it easy. Don't schedule something the next day. Um, you know, and I, it's, at least to the people I know who have gotten it. And I, I know a lot of people have gotten it. It's been pretty split with people who have had that kind of thing. Um, but versus, versus not much, but yeah, that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mine on a Friday for a reason. Like that's the idea. Yes. You can rest and relax. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, my friend Simone Boyce from NBC News did a piece about vaccine chasers, about people who are waiting outside mm-hmm. of the forum and they're, they've heard a rumor that there's excess vaccines or people maybe miss their appointment and then they can be the recipient of the vaccine in the event that there are extras. Um, is there any truth to these rumors? Is that an effective way to go? I know people really want this vaccine, so I get why they're doing it, but what is your take on that? Yeah. Um, so I think one thing, cause like I've worked at the pot, I haven't worked at the forum one, but I've done the one in the Valley and the one at six flags. And, you know, we of course had people come up at the end of the day and like, ask, like, are you going to throw any away? And it's like, no, we are not throwing any away. Like the department of public health has, uh, you know, they use all of them. Like, absolutely. Do they, all, you know? And so I think that, Yes, there are sites that have waiting lists and lines where people wait. Um, It's not a particularly likely to succeed method. Um, I don't encourage people to do it. And the main, you know, the main reason for that is 
right now we really are trying to get the vaccine into the arms of people who are particularly vulnerable to bad outcomes with COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is true that if you, you know, that I guess obviously like that story illustrates, like that is something that sometimes works, mm-hmm. but it's also like gross to see people, especially in some of the communities that have been particularly hard hit by COVID um, and just have like a general, you know, especially like black and brown communities in South LA. And then you see there's been a lot, one of the clinics I've been helping out with in terms of helping them get volunteers to help with their data entry. Cause like the whole data thing is like, it's, it's just a lot. Um, you know, they'll have people from like 30 miles away, like rich parts of LA driving in and sitting out there. And it's like, you know, I get it. We all want the vaccine. That's, it's not a good, you know, it's not a good look. And it's, it's pretty gross to try to, you know, to try to take advantage of a situation that way. I mean, if you can find places to volunteer, like if you have skills that are useful in vaccine distribution, like that's one way that people who consistently volunteer like week in, week out, like usually have the opportunity to be vaccinated in the same way that healthcare staff are. That is a commitment though. You can't just volunteer for a day. You have to commit to what? Yeah, like yeah, month, yeah, yeah. Two months at least. I th- I mean, it, it's going to be different no matter where you go, but like, that's just like a general, you know, I, I have been recruiting epidemiology volunteers. And so for them, I'm like, no, you need to work with me 20 hours a week for six weeks. It's all people who are in school and like need credit or something, or, you know, or sometimes if people have a specialized skill, it might be less, but for longer, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not recruiting right now, but what I'm saying is like in general, when clinics or community places need help, that would be one way that, you know, if you have, if you're able to do that, otherwise it's just kind of just wear your two masks and wait. And, uh, it's good that there's five out there now, but yeah, I don't really have another <laughs> thing to say about it. It's it's very frustrating to me for sure. So you mentioned wearing two masks. Is that now the recommended yep. amount of masks one should wear? Yes. Yep. When because of the new more contagious variant. So new variant, more infectious. Um, so yeah, wear two masks. And the way I do it is I wear my most medical mask underneath. Um, so usually like, for example... I have a fit tested N95 for my work. And so when I'm out of a vaccine clinic, I'll wear that. And then I'll wear a surgical mask over top. But for just like errands, like going to the grocery store or something, I'll wear a KF94, which is the Korean version of an N95. And you can buy them. You know, they're not fit tested if you're just buying them, but they're pretty good because you want a mask that fits very close to your face. Um, And then I'll just wear like a cloth or surgical over top of it. Um, the KN95s, they're good too. Just make sure it fits well to your face. And if you see one that has it on the box says FDA approved, it's definitely a scam. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. Um, the FDA doesn't let people do that with masks. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Two masks is, I mean, part of that. Well, so part of it is because, you know, it's of course, because of the more contagious variants, um, that are becoming, more common and spreading. And it's, you know, it's also because we have the vaccines. And so there's a tremendous value right now in being able 
to prevent getting or spreading COVID even more so than there has been earlier on in the pandemic. So it's worth, you know, investing that extra discomfort or step of wearing two and like being extremely safe because we, we, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. you know, it's closer now than before. You know, I, I saw a headline the other day that was very annoying because or very just irritating because it said like, no one could have predicted that this would happen. I'm like, no, literally anyone who knows any, who has taken basic epi or immunology or just understand how viruses work would expect this to happen. This is what viruses do. Mm-hmm. And when you have uncontrolled virus spread, like we do in the US in most places, they can mutate faster. You know, that's what viruses do. They mutate to become more infectious. Mm-hmm. It also typically means, I, I will see with this variant, I don't know yet, but it typically, you know, typically when a virus becomes more infectious, it's also mutating to be less virulent, which means that for each individual who gets it, they're less likely to die. But the fact that it's so much more contagious means more people get it in the first place. So even if it's a lower percentage, it adds up to more people. So, yeah, this is, I mean, every, like, this is just what viruses do. And viruses suck. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's just what they do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it wants to persist. Yeah. Yeah. They go on, they spread to more people. Like they really do suck. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it, it is encouraging that it seems like at this point, the vaccines are working but it's really important that we keep trying to control the, you know, trying to minimize the spread because viruses mutate faster when they can just spread, spread, spread. And if we can get most people vaccinated before, you know, before that happens, like that's better because it, it means it's more likely the vaccines will continue to work basically. And the vaccine that is out, if you were to get it now, it would be helpful against all strains that we know about right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, because some of the newer variants, there's just less data. We don't know. The data is still emerging about how effective, like, you know, is it, does what, what percentage does it reduce your chance, but it has some efficacy against all of them. So it's, yeah, it's, it's extremely worth getting it. There's two now that in the U S are out and like, you know, if, if you're eligible to get it, there's basically two different ones. Either one is, you know, they're, they're very comparable, but if you get one dose of one, you have to get the second dose of the same brand because they're not, you can't swap them, but they're equally as good as each other. So. Awesome. And the other thing that I heard was that people are having a hard time getting the second um, dose within the parameter of time, which you're supposed to get it after getting the first. Um, can we talk a little bit about that and also kind of discuss what is that parameter of time when you're yeah. second? Yeah, for sure. Um, so for the Pfizer vaccine, the time window is the first dose. You can get the second dose as early as 21 days later, mm-hmm. but Later is fine. It's approved. I think currently it's approved till 42. Um, so as long as you get it at least 21 and by 42 days later, you're good. And the encouraging thing is, you know, for most viruses that we do have vaccines for the one exception being rabies, you 
if you can space out your doses, they actually are a little bit more effective. So it's kind of to your, you know, it's not, it's not a downside and maybe a slight upside to get it a little bit later. For Moderna, it's approved for 28 days between the doses, but again, or sorry, it's recommended for 28 days minimum, but it's approved for 42. And it's honestly probably fine longer than that. Um, and I think we'll get updated guidance on that, but yeah. Okay. Rabies though, if you get one rabies shot and you wait too long to get the second one, you got to get it again. Oh, the first one again? You got to start it over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. And Don't that one rabies. sucks too. That one's painful, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one in the tetanus shot hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so in general, yeah, vaccines work better when you space them out a little bit more. So, you know, and also honestly, like the first dose has really good efficacy. So what that means is, you know, it's not, it's not to say, oh, you got one dose. Now you're fine. You don't have to get the second one. No, not at all. Like get the second one. It'll be better. Mm-hmm. But there's some you know, there's some amount of protection, which is, which is reassuring. Um, yeah. Great. So I guess my last question is <laughs> what do you wish that people knew about this vaccine that they seem to not know, or did we already kind of cover it? I think we covered it. I think the big reframe that when I'm talking to people about it, I like to get across is that when you're considering whether you want to get the vaccine or not, and whether you're going to do it, be sure you're comparing that to what the actual alternative is, Mm -hmm. which in this case, it's not, you know, I know a lot of people think like, you know, I, I don't want to get it because I'd rather just like, not, you know, (laughs) I'd rather just not get COVID. It's like, yeah, me too. Like I would prefer that we didn't have this problem, but the alternative is that you're at higher risk for getting and potentially transmitting it. Um, and so that's really what you're comparing it against. That's the world we're in, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have a ton of data more every day about the safety and efficacy. Um, and I mean, I'm hopeful that with the new administration, we can get a better handle on the supply chain, having a reserve, using the defense production act to ramp up. You know, I know that I know the Biden administration is using the DPA to ramp up manufacturing the vaccine. I think having new companies enter, you know, other companies enter the market is also good. You know, in a perfect world, I would say, you know, Moderna and Pfizer, you just release the plans of your vaccine and let generic manufacturers make it like that's what I would like to happen. That's Mm -hmm. unfortunately for a variety of reasons related to capitalism, that's not likely to happen. But, you know. I think understanding the supply things is, is pretty important. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's, yeah, that's probably where I'd end it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hot Pizza Ass. I'm Erin Darling-Tralva. I love you guys. Thank you so much for the support. And please check out the show notes. There I have all of our resources and everything that we referenced within the context of this episode that I think would be helpful for you. Or if you're just interested in learning more about the vaccine or listening to some of those podcasts that we talk about that debunk certain things that we discuss here, please check it out in the show notes. And again, give us five stars on iTunes. I love you. That is all I ask for everything I'm giving you for Hot Pizza Ass. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.